Well, we have, after today, we have about one sermon left. And, you know, Dave was talking about, Dave was talking about, uh, we're inviting parents over for the next week's service, whatever. Uh, you know, I figure, what a sermon. You know, I'm going to be talking about Nehemiah pulling people's hair out. Because that's, that's the last part of the message about pulling hair out. What a, what a sermon. And I thought, you know, that would be great for people to come to, uh, to see how, how uh, desperate we are in getting people to come here. Anyway, uh, it's good to have you here this morning. And, uh, but it is time for church. It is time for us to look at God's Word. So if you would please. Oh, by the way, one other thing I want to tell you is, uh, now, next week, this coming Wednesday, we have Vacation Bible School. But just so, just so you put this in your memory banks, that uh, on Wednesday, after we're done with VBS, uh, until we have the August break, I'm going to be doing a short study in, in end times, the last things, the consummation, the eschatology, whatever you want to call it. So we're going to have a, a short study on Wednesday nights. So if you have no class to go to, if you're going to be sitting home and watching the Cubs lose another game, was that the Cardinals win, whatever it is. But if you're going to be, you know what, you can DVR that, you can, you can come to our class. And uh, if, you're not, if, you're not, if you're attending class, stay in that class, what do I want to take from anybody. But if you're not doing anything on Wednesday night that is so important, uh, we'd love for you to attend this eschatology class, end times, whatever. And we're going to look at... Uh, we're going to look at premillennial, postmillennial, all-millennial, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all of that. We're going to look at all of that over the next few weeks. And then uh, that will be the end. Okay. Chapter 13, beginning at verse 15 of Nehemiah. In those days, I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, so I admonished them on the day that they, uh, they uh, sold food. Also, the men of Tyre, by the way, Tyre is just north, just north of Israel, which would be kind of like Lebanon, something like that is today, but north of Israel. Also, the men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same, so that our God brought on us and on the city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath." It came about, just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and that they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I, uh, I stationed some of my servants at the gates so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites 
that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Before we pray, I just want to add this little note to you. This is the second time that Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. This second time he comes, he's not coming as the governor. Uh, he's just coming to see how things are going. So he's, he's making this return trip to see if some of the reforms that have been made and, and whatever have been going is still, is still working. And, and uh, sorry to say that, uh, you know, one, one of the commandments has been violated the most. You know it's one of God's commandments. It was about the Sabbath. They, they, the people of Israel just continued through the whole history to violate the Sabbath day requirement. As it was then, so it is today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to assemble together. Lord, it is Sunday. There's no better place to be than to worship you. We acknowledge that you're a sovereign God, that you're the creator, that you're the sustainer God, that you're the elector of people, that you're the keeper of your people, that you seal them, that your, names are, that, that, that your name is written on our foreheads, Father. Grant to us, Lord, that we may continue to be faithful to you through every Lord's day and every day of our lives. In Christ's name, amen. The Jewish community had an issue in their continuing to violate the Sabbath, as I had mentioned. They, through, throughout their history, throughout their history, they, they just, they, they couldn't get that commandment in their heads. And, and if they had it in their heads, they surely couldn't get it in their hearts. You know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you look at Exodus chapter 20, you'll find the Ten Commandments, beginning at verse 1, about, and ends of verse 17, that, that the, longest, the longest commandment, the one that has the most writing about it is about the, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It, it, has all, it has all kinds of restrictions to it, but not restrictions in a way that you shouldn't do anything, you shouldn't have no fun or anything like that on a Sabbath day. It just means that God wants His people to spend a day in, in worship of Him and to spend a day enjoying what God has given them. It's a day to enjoy yourself in the sense of relaxing, that don't get so caught up in having to do servile work. But spending, spending a time for your body to recoup and regroup. So that's what God wanted them to do. And, and he had written so much about that. Through, from Exodus chapter 20 all the way through, even in the New Testament. You find that people had trouble. Whether it be the Sabbath day or the Lord's day. We have our, the Christian Sabbath is the Lord's day. Uh, we, we continue to have the same struggles. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, the, the simple commandment is this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. By that, God meant that the people of Israel were to take the Sabbath. Now, that's, that Sabbath day begins at Friday evening at sundown, goes to Saturday sundown. Not like 12 o'clock to 12 o'clock, but sundown to sundown. 
That's the Sabbath, Friday to Saturday. And he wanted to use it as a day of rest for the people, for the animals of burden, for the, for the working of the land, as well as the foreigners who were in the land. He says, listen, I don't care who you are. When you come into this land, you're going to abide by the rules that govern this land. It's a, at that time, it was a theocracy. Uh, when God gave it to Moses, he says, this is going to be a theocratic government. You're to live according to the rules that I give you, the commands I give you. Well, needless to say, that didn't work. However, however, as we read through the Old Testament, we find that Israel had a long history, as I mentioned, in in not honoring this command. And in fact, if you were to look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 17, in Nehemiah chapter 17, beginning at verse, uh, beginning verse 19. Thus the Lord said to me, go and stand in the public gate through which the kings of Judah come in and go out, as well as all the gates of Jerusalem. By the way, when, Nehemiah, when Jeremiah wrote this, uh, Jerusalem was about ready to fall. The Babylonians were right at their gate. They, it was ready to fall. He says, verse 20, and say to them, listen to the word of the Lord, kings of Judah, and all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem who come through these gates. Thus says the Lord, take heed for yourselves and do not carry any load on the Sabbath day or bring anything in through the gates of Jerusalem. You shall not bring a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day nor do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers. And then listen to this last verse, verse 23. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks in order not to listen or take correction. It was a, continuing, a continual problem. The Sabbath was a, to be a day of rest, a day of personal sanctification or purification. But the Jews had great difficulty meeting the requirements of this command. So all this background to understand why the Sabbath day was so important for the people. As as God created and He rested on that seventh day, He wanted His people to to work and then to rest. He wanted the land to be used to work and then to rest. He wanted the animals of burden to work and then to rest. So we look at our text for today. We see in verse 15 of our text from, from Nehemiah. Uh, listen to what he says again. In those days, I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, and brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. The people seem to have no qualms concerning their buying and selling merchandise on the Sabbath. We read in verse 17 that Nehemiah reprimands those in authority. He takes the leaders, he takes the nobles of the country, and he goes to them and and he asks, he says, "What, what is this evil you are doing on the Sabbath? He doesn't just go to the ordinary person. He goes to the leadership. He says, what is this evil? Why are you causing my people to sin? You're allowing allowing this violation to continue, and you've done nothing about it. And doesn't it just seem so odd to you and ironic that we are in a similar situation in our world today? That we look at the evil, and we bypass evil. 
and we call it good. We think it's for our benefit. Is it any wonder as to why there existed such a decay in the observance of the Sabbath? The people in that time had both forsaken, listen, they had forsaken the Lord's temple. You find that in, in verses 4 through 9 in chapter 13. They had forsaken the Lord's temple as well as they profaned the Lord's Sabbath. When one, is, when one is honored, the other would not be violated. But also, when one is forsaken, so will the other. If we don't take care of what God has given us, if we do not take care of the house of God, if it means nothing to us that we take care of the house of God, then why would we care anything at all about the Lord's day? This is where we congregate together and we meet God in His Word. This is God's house. It doesn't belong to you, nor to me, nor to the convention. This is God's house. If it means nothing to us, then does the Lord's day mean anything to us? We must ask ourselves that question, and we can answer it for ourselves. Notice in verse 17, that I mentioned earlier that it was a nobility, the leaders of the people to which Nehemiah had gone to with complaint. Listen, even the most elevated of humanity are not to be exempted in the failure to obey God's command. It doesn't matter who the individual is. The top of the ladder or the bottom of the ladder, even those who can't even find the ladder, when it, when it comes to one's faults, it doesn't matter. When one person violates God's law, God's moral law, it doesn't matter who that person is. Listen, God, God holds them in violation of it if they are to break it. And we all, we all shall stand before Him. And people say, well, we don't live by the Old Testament law anymore. Well, I beg your pardon, we do not live by the, by the judicial nor ceremonial law of the Old Testament, but we certainly live by the moral law. It is a moral law that is written in people's hearts. You don't need to have a physical law that says you ought not kill someone or steal or commit adultery or lie or covet what other person has. There should be a normal consciousness about this that we don't do those kinds of things. But there's also a law that says that we are to have God as our priority. That we should not create some phony fake God and worship that. Whatever we might want to call that God. There's also a law that says that we should not profane God's name. There's also a law that says that we should not profane the Sabbath day or for the Christian the Lord's day. This ought to be a day that we wait for expectantly. Listen, the greatest day of the week is Sunday when we all come together as brothers and sisters in Christ because, folks, the people you meet here in church are going to be, the, for the most part, the people you meet in glory. If you don't like them on Sunday, you're going to hate to have them as your neighbor for the rest of eternity. We're to come together. We have that problem today just as they had 2,500 years ago. 
It's just something about getting here. Even the most elevated of humanity are not exempted in their failure when it comes to God's command. When it comes to one's faults, all people are, be, are to be informed when it, comes, uh, when it comes to our cavalier attitude towards giving our due respect to what is holy. The example that the nobles set in Nehemiah's mind would be of great influence to the rest of the people. You see, if you can get, if you can get the people on the higher portion of the ladder to obey God's command, there is a great influence on the people who are beneath them to follow that example. None of us are exempt. None of us are exempt. We all stand guilty before God. God says not to violate that day. And how do we violate that day? In any, in any way, in anything that we do that would reduce the priority of God. As I mentioned many times before, sin is, is just simply this. Sin is robbing God of the glory and the honor that is due Him. And the glory and the honor that is due Him is found here when we come together in corporate worship and we raise our hearts and or our hands to God and we thank Him for the fact that He has sustained us through this night. That God is the Creator God, that He is the Sustainer God, that He is the Redeemer God, and He's the God who's coming back again. We should be thankful for that. And to think of all this, of the seven and a half billion people in the world, that you're one of those seven and a half billion people that God has called to become his sheep. He's become your shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pasture. I went to, uh, went to this different kind of a zoo the other day where you can buy, feed, and have these animals eat out of your hand. So we bought some seed, and these sheep and goats especially. If you've got food in your hand, they will follow you everywhere. They will cling to you like green on a cucumber. Like a chicken on a June bug, folks, they just won't leave you alone. If you got that food, they're going to follow you. And listen, folks, here is food. Sheep will you follow. Some sheep will follow. But I'm telling you, when you go to the zoo and you got food in your hand, every, all sheep will follow you. All goats will follow you. Because you've got, you've got for them what keeps them alive. Church, this keeps us alive. We ought to be here. We're going to fill these pews with sheep who are eager to eat from the Word of God. In Psalm 33 and 12, 33 and 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord.
But the antithesis of that is no blessing for the nation whose God is not the Lord. If we have put our trust in Christ, if Christ is our Lord, would it not be incumbent upon us to gather together and not violate that very sacred day that God has given us? Our world today has fixed its attention to many things apart from the worship of God on the Lord's Day. Sports, amusements, various pleasures have made the Lord's Day a back burner matter. If it was true in Nehemiah's time some 2,500 years ago that the breaking of the Sabbath was one of the sins that God brought judgment upon, upon them, would that also not be true for us today in our Lord's Day observance? If God would judge the people because of their inability or lack of desire to worship, to come together, if He would do that 2,500 years ago, why would we be exempt today? If they under law, if they under law are required to come and assemble together and worship and rest and enjoy what God has given them, how much more under grace should we come together? Under grace come together because Christ has freed us from the commands and the demands of the law. But under grace, would we not even be more thankful because there is no more any sacrifice that we need to offer because Christ has become our sacrifice. How much more grateful shall we be? Shall we not come together and say, God, because you have sacrificed yourself, that you are the Paschal Lamb. That you have given of yourself. And I want to enjoy all the benefits that you have given me right now while I live on this earth. And one of the great benefits that God has given us is for us to come together on the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Say, Lord, it's not a matter that I owe you this. I want to offer this to you. This is my sacrifice. I give of my time and my talent and my treasure and my ability. Lord, I give this to you because I am so thankful, Lord, that you called me out of seven and a half billion people in this world that I have sensed the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And I have come to put my trust in Jesus Christ because of that. And I have now become a, a sealed member whose name is now put into the Lamb's book of life. Lord, that is me out of seven and a half billion people in this world. It is like winning the greatest lottery that's ever been done. That here am I. And why should God save me? Of what special benefit am I to the kingdom of God that God would save me? Of what can I offer God that, that God says, I just cannot live without this person? As Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Our assembly on the Lord's day is just as equal a need as it was then. Listen to these words from verse 18 of our text. You are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. We also hear these words from the book of Ezra. In Ezra chapter 9 verse 14, he says, Would you not be angry with us to the point of destruction? 
he's writing that in a, in a sense of their observance, a lack of observance of the Lord's of the uh, Sabbath day. Friends, God takes very seriously our coming together for worship for the hearing of his word, and for a purifying work of sanctification. Jesus says in John 4, 23, but an hour is coming. Listen very carefully. An hour is coming when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The, the real worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is looking for people who will actually give time to come and worship Him. In verse 22 of Nehemiah 13, we read, And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves. The Levites were the keepers of the gates, and to their discredit, they'd become negligent in their duties. They're to attend to the gates. When the Sabbath occurred, they should have shut those gates, but no, they left them open. The, the very ministers, the ministers of God, rather than shutting those gates and saying, no one comes in on the Sabbath day to profane the Sabbath day, no one, but they instead left the gates wide open that sin might come in to the city. A purifying, sanctifying work was needed to get them to a right standing before God because they were sinning in what they were doing. In like manner, we as a church or ought to be or ought to put ourselves on a guard so as to be in a constant state of sanctification. When we come through these doors into this church, When we come into this church building to worship, you know what ought to, ought, to, ought to entertain our hearts and our minds? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That we should come and say, Lord, I'm coming here, and my heart needs to be cleansed before you. That I'm coming here to meet with you. I'm coming here to feast on your word. I'm coming here that you might fill me full of your word. Just like those little sheep and those goats at the zoo. You hand your, just hold your hand out. It says, keep your hand flat. Put the, put the feet in your hand. And they will, they will come and they will eat right from your hand. Folks, when the word is being handed out, I don't care if it's me or somebody else, whoever it is, when that word is being handed out to the people, we should be eating from it. Instead, many feel that it's not, no longer necessary. Michael Horton, Dr. Michael Horton, in his systematic theology entitled The Christian Faith, writes concerning sanctification. Called into union with Christ, this is a quote, called into union with Christ by the Spirit through the gospel, the elect are adopted into God's family as joint heirs with Christ. God's sanctification separates people, places, and things away from their ordinary association and for his own use. Paul reminds Timothy that approved ministers in God's house are vessels set apart from the ordinary use for special use. You'll find that, in, by the way, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. 
We, God has set us aside from, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Not to be gatekeepers where we allow anything to enter, but we become gatekeepers where we're looking for a heart that is pure and cleansed before God. That we're looking for a sanctifying work to take place. We're looking for a regenerative work to take place in people's hearts. You see, folks, we're not here just to pack a pew. If we want to pack a pew, then we can have all kinds of amusements up here. You know, we can have uh, an, uh, kegs or whatever up here and, and dancing people and all that. We're not going to do that. It's not a matter of just getting people. It's just not people that we want. It's worshipers. We're looking for worshipers. This is the Lord's day. God separates us apart and seeks for us to be his worshipers, John 4, 23. A very, very familiar message, a passage found in Hebrews 10, 25. You're all familiar with it. Reads this, not forsaking our own assembling together. And then at verse 26, you know, you'll find many times in the Bible that they just separate. They say, well, here's a, here's a pericope, uh, here, here's, here's a thought. And then the next pericope or thought starts at verse 26, and you'll have, a, you'll have a separation between 25. Don't put that separation in there. You know, when, when the Scripture was written, they didn't put numbers down. They just wrote, okay? They didn't put a separation in there. Verse 25 says, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And then right, right after that, verse 26 says, for if we go on sinning willfully, Listen, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, this is not simply about our failure from time to time and being absent from Sunday worship. He's not talking about that. You know, every one of us miss. Every one of us miss from time to time. Stuff happens. He's talking about those who for one reason or another have disassociated themselves from Christ and also have disfellowshiped themselves from Christ's church. That they look at Christ and say, I'm, I don't need Jesus anymore. There are people all over this world who've made a commitment to Christ. And by the way, how could that be? Somebody makes a commitment to Christ and all of a sudden just forget it. Uh, you, by the way, if you don't think that that's true, look at John chapter 8 when it says that many came to believe in Jesus. And then just a few verses later, Jesus talking to the same people says, you're your father, the devil. It isn't just because somebody says, well, I believe in Jesus. Uh, folks, that e easy believism will not get you into glory. The only time you'll ever face God is that you'll meet God as your judge, but you'll never meet him as your savior. He's talking about people that have just absolutely turned their back on Christ, turned their back on the church, say, I want nothing to do with Jesus, I want nothing to do with the church. It's anathema to me. In short, they have left the faith. These are apostate people. These are the unregenerate who at one time associated themselves with Christ and His church, but who only had an intellectual assent they had Christ up here. They had an intellectual ascent. But folks, what was lacking was there was no heart transformation. 
as, as Dr. Connor used to teach at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, he, listen, he said this. He says that when a person comes to Christ, that they can no longer, there, there must be a moral and mental change that they can no longer be. They can no longer be what they used to be. There, there's got to be a change in that person. And some people come to Christ and you see no change. They look like the devil the day before and they look more like him the next day. There's no heart transformation. And that's what he's talking about in verse 26. Because it's those people. John writes about, he says, they've come off from us, but they were really never of us. God takes it serious for us to come together and worship. Not just now, but thousands of years ago. He's talking to Moses. Moses, you need to assemble together. Bring the people together and worship. And listen to this. It is no small thing to take lightly the person of Christ in his church. To those who dismiss themselves to, to this degree, in verse 26 of Hebrews 10 says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. When you say, I don't need Jesus... If you don't need Jesus, then what sacrifice will you go to for your sins to be forgiven? Who will you go to? Folks, this is the Lord's day. It's a day for worship, for personal sanctification, to bring us to a place of worship and serviceability before God. It is a day in which the church, we the church, are to set aside all the things that would cause us to make the worship and reverence of God a back burner backseat issue there will come a day when every knee when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord listen listen to this from Revelation chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 and they sang the song of Moses the bondservant of God and the song of the Lamb saying Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For the nations, for the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. I want to close this message by our continuing to read from the book of Revelation. And friends, listen, sometimes we may take lightly our due responsibility of worship. We all do that. We, we take it lightly. We take lightly of our setting ourselves aside for God's use and personal holiness. But now we have this opportunity. We have this opportunity right now to come before our Lord and recommit to him our desire to make this, the Lord's day, a priority in our lives. This day must be a priority in our lives. We do this because it is he who has foreknown and predestined and called and justified. And one day he shall make us be glorified. God has done that for us. God has, God has foreknown us, predestined us, called us, justified us. And one day he'll make us a glorified people. 
Let us together bring into both mind and heart these words from Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 12 and I close with this. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with one loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful, folks, if we all, if we all together stood there, glory and honor and power and wisdom be to our God. We bow before the throne and we do so in worship. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of coming together, Lord. As it was true 2,500 years ago, Lord, it is true today. Father, you want your people to come together and not profane this day. Your church, Lord, your church that you died for is God's elect and select people to come together and be worshipers, just as your word says in John 4, 23. He wants us to be his worshipers. Father, we do so joyfully. I thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for its people, Lord. What a blessing they are to me. In Jesus' name, amen.